Hello, everyone. It is That Williams Guy here for yet another episode. We're recording this on Thursday, March the 16th at 8.11 p.m. Eastern Time. But I think we've got three of the four time zones in the United States represented here tonight. Uh, and so we'll just jump right in and start getting to introduce the panel that's here tonight. Number four, one is our vice host. If I'm unable to fulfill my duties as host, the magnificent Steve will take over because he's been trained in running the That Wings Guy Show. Steve Havey. Hi, I'm Steve Havey. I am Lee's uh, Get Back Coach, as Director of Engineering, and as Assistant Instructor. I uh, started firearms training back in 2016, and I run a defensive pistol match three times a month at a local gun range. I do private and group instruction, and... That's about it. All right, Everett. I'm Everett Snyder. I retired from the Federal Bureau of Prisons a couple of years ago. Now I'm jail commander for Putnam County, Indiana Sheriff's Department, as we call them up here instead of offices. Y'all can be and, wrong. It's okay. Yeah, it happens. I started my firearms uh, training in the U.S. Air Force in 1986, of all places, where a revolver became sort of my first uh, love of handguns. I still run them today. I became an instructor with the Federal Bureau of Prisons, uh, was blessed to get picked up on their sort team and did some specialty instruction where I learned a lot. But since I retired, I've been working at Top Guns as a part-time instructor there. Now, for those of you that aren't familiar, Top Guns is a range in Terre Haute, Indiana. Inside this shooting range, and they have three separate ranges, is a very well-stocked gun store a pizza joint, an ice cream stand, and a bandstand for live music. The pizza joint just closed. Oh, no. He retired, but I believe a second uh, proprietor is going to open it up soon, hopefully. Okay. And you did have a rock climbing wall, but it's closed down. Right? Yeah. They just couldn't keep it running. So. Uh, but it is a great, great, great facility. If you're driving across the country on I-70 and you're passing through Terre Haute, stop and go to Top Guns. Dan Brady. I'm Dan Brady. I uh, work for uh, Apache Solutions out of uh, Yadkinville, North Carolina, part-time. I've got a, a .gov job that I still do for the Department of Defense for hopefully another six years or so before I can leave that permanently. Started firearms training in the United States Marine Corps Infantry back in the 90s, 1996. Um, became a cop after I got out four years of that and uh, started private training with uh, Dave Spaulding back in like 2003, 2004, and been at it ever since. I got caught mid app trying to send something to someone else that that's going to tag in. Ladies and gentlemen, please. In awed reverence, we welcome a true podcast professional to our, our panel tonight, Matt Lamfair. I was expecting it to be Brian. <laughs> well, <laughs> surprise, and then Matt. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Matt Lamfair, uh, cop since last century. Um, you know, uh, talking to my wife about this career. Man, she sure wants me to do something else, but yeah, I'm still here. I'm still in it. Getting closer to retirement. Uh, back in 2014, I started this thing called Primary and Secondary, and essentially what it started as was uh, it was networking. 
bunch of friends getting together and comparing notes. And we determined quickly, you know what? These notes would be beneficial for a lot more people. And so based off that, based off some Facebook groups, started a website, started doing podcasts and really just seeking out the best possible information to share for the end user has been the main goal. And the best part, well, one of the, one of the benefits is being able to use these resources to help my own agency, but also getting um, calls, emails, and everything else from people from other agencies asking for assistance or even thanking, saying, you know what, we were able to change a policy because of this, because of some of these insights. So yeah, that's a great time. I love it. There you go. I, you know, I've been doing it 24 plus years now, and I don't know if I could pass the psychological to go back into the real world. You know, they give us a psych to let us come on the nope. job that they ought to make us take a psych before we can leave. And uh, you, you, you know, none of us who've been at it for two decades pass. Oh, you're ruined for anything else. I, I don't know. There's just, that's a good Southern term, Matt. Ruin. Um, yeah, you just, there, there's nothing else you can go do. Once so kindergarten teacher is out. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> done. You're done. Yeah. You know, I actually went to college to be a middle school teacher. That's what I actually you look like. A, you look like a middle school teacher, Lee. Okay. I won't take offense at that. That's, uh, that's what I actually went to college intending to be. And it just didn't happen. Uh, government got in the way and I ended up getting diverted. And this is where I landed. And all right. We have one other panelist that is trying to log in at the moment. So we will keep uh, messing around until that other panelist gets, gets logged in. And uh, oh, before our get match coach blows the whistle and tells us to get back to work. So, uh, Steve, do you have something to entertain us while our other panelists are trying to log in? No pressure. <laughs> You're muted, Steve. You're still muted. You're muted. You know, it was funny when I first came in, you and Brian were talking about staccatos and guess mm -hmm. who was looking at staccatos just yesterday? This guy. There yes, I was flailingly. I, I knew I was muted. I knew I needed to unmute and I was trying to figure out how to unmute. <laughs> You don't click where it shows the muted microphone. You got to make the thing that says unmute show up and then unmute. Okay. And just tagging in, ladies and gentlemen, Eric Gilhouse. How you doing, Eric? And Eric He's is muted. muted. <laughs> well, maybe we need to stop and start over. All right. Hey, greetings. Thanks for letting me come here. Straight off of a deposition about a use of force case I had to respond to as a sergeant. Happy, happy. <laughs> Yeah, that's the thing they don't tell you about uh, when you, yeah, I, I'd like to be a sergeant, is that now you become responsible for everything that happens while you're at work? Yep. yep. Yeah. I just got pulled back into federal court in January for something that happened in 2013 when I was a lieutenant. So it never ends. Uh, and it's going to be one of those things that I think when I do finally pull the plug and retire, I want to like vanish and go somewhere, but they can't find me to, to serve me subpoenas. But, oh, well. Fiji, Fiji would Fiji would be good. Yeah. And, and well, without, without going into the details, this one compared to the other things that happened my second to last month before retirement was utterly inconsequential. 
It wasn't an active killer event. It wasn't an OIS. It was mm-hmm. not, a, and there were two of those. It was not a suicide by sandwich in the jail, all of which happened my second to last month. This was like so inconsequential at the time. And that's what I'm getting deposed over. Yep. <laughs> oh, we, we have one uh, lawsuit, uh, a federal one at that, that when the lawsuit got served, we just said, write the check. <laughs> like no 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 we could no 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 write the check because yeah. the the deputy did what the deputy was accused of now when i say write the check it was 2500 bucks something like that was what the guy was asking for what happened was we had gotten a new shock belt and for those of you who are unfamiliar you are not allowed to transport a prisoner who to trial the jury can never see them in handcuffs, can never see them in their jail attire, can never see any of that stuff because you can't give the appearance that they're guilty. And so what we do is we have them wear a shock belt up underneath their actual free citizen clothing. And if they try to escape, the deputy that is supervising them has a remote control and they can zap them and to immobilize them so we can get there to contain them. Well, we had gotten a new shock belt and, um, this one went around the, the ankle, I believe, and the inmate was in the holding cell getting dressed for court, and they had put the belt on him, but the remote control was at the booking station where the inmates get booked in and out of the jail. Oh, no. And another deputy walked in and picked it up and said, hey, what garage door does this open? And I pressed the button, and you heard the scream come, come down from the holding cell, and everybody just like stood there and looked at him. He's like, what? You didn't hear that? You know, that was on a person. And of course, he filed a, a lawsuit when they like came in with the paperwork, like, yeah, right, write the check. We, we, we did that. And, uh, you know, sometimes that happens. That happens. So, yesterday, the day before, I got a text from a longtime colleague who is no longer in the law enforcement profession, but he still does uh, firearms training. And he texted me that he has gotten really into BJJ. And he said that, you know, that has now become more prevalent in his training than going to the ranges for his own personal development. And he said, you know, if I had known half of what I know now, back when I was actually needing to use this stuff, I I wish I had known it all then. And so that kind of got me sparked thinking about, you know, if I could take everything that I know now and retain that knowledge and go back and start over on this whole training journey extravaganza, what things would I do differently, you know, knowing what I know now? And uh, Dan, in his intro, mentioned Dave Spalding. I've heard Dave describe that uh, he has changed his grip four times or a shooting stance four times. And that's always a massive undertaking when you have actually worked hard enough to develop murder programs. You go way back to one of the beginning episodes of the show. Uh, John Hearn did one where we talk about how you develop a murder program, what all goes into that. And, um, you know, Dave Spalding's techniques is really big on the inboard manipulations. And I'm one of Dave certified instructors as is Dan. And, I really like the inboard. When I test it objectively compared to overhand manipulations or, or any of the other, and what I'm talking about here is it's a hand technique from when you're manipulating the side on a pistol. Um, 
every time I test them, the inboard comes out superior. And I know it consciously that the inboard technique is a superior technique. Uh, you say superior, do you mean faster? Uh, no, superior in, while yes, it's faster, I actually am more consistent with, with everything that I do. Okay. Coming from. For instance, um, when I go to, say, clear a malfunction, you, know, you tap, you come over the top in the overhand, your thumb pointed towards you as you rack the slide. I tend to have to chase because I push forward with the strong hand as I do that, and I tend to have to chase with the support hand. Uh, to catch up with the pistol. When I do inboard, whether when I roll the pistol back, you know, to assume my firing grip, it's like coming back together where my hands will be at position three on a four count draw stroke or in a high ready position. So it, it ties into other things that I do. Uh, the other thing that I've noticed about it is that whenever I am teaching a brand new person how to shoot, such as I've got a JRO that I'm getting ready to go to the academy, and we let them handle the pistol for the first time, they pick it up and they actually go to run the slide inboard. And for years, it's been, no, 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 turn your hand this other way and run it. That way you're like, you, for the first six months, you're coaching them to, you know, go over the hand with the slide. It's like taking a lefty and making them right, right-handed. And so that's one of those things that if I could start over, Again, I would focus on the inboard techniques right from the start. So that became my default murder program. And I just, I, in my conscious mind, like if I tell myself when I go to do a demo, run the gut inboard, I do it. If I don't tell myself consciously, if I just happen to have a malfunction or I'm doing, I just go right back to the overhand because that is what is burned in. And as soon as I do it, I'm thinking in my, okay, you did it wrong. Go back to the other way. But that's just what it is. I actually have a teaching block that I put together that Eric and John Hearn and I have an upcoming event um, called the Cognitive Conclave, in which I will do a block on inboard versus outboard uh, manipulations. And, you know, we'll see if other people's results mirror mine. So with that, Steve, take her away. What would I do different? Mm-hmm. Well, let's see, I had about 10 million small pistol primers in 2019. <laughs> um, I would have, well, one, I wish I'd have started a lot sooner. So I'm probably the oldest person here chronologically, but I'm the youngest person here seasoning wise. And, you know, I think back on it now, I owned guns since 1970s, but I didn't really know anything about guns until about 2012 when I ran across some guy just happened to cross him by the name of Claude Werner. And so that got me down on a very good path. And that was great. I fell in with the right kind of people. Um, so I really wish I'd have started sooner. I'd have paid more attention to it. My wife would be more understanding of my spending habits now and all kinds of good things in that regard. Um, from a technique point of view, I wish I had started, uh, wish I had worked on appendix carry more and earlier because about the second year, third year I was into this was when appendix started its revival and really started coming back in again, but I just didn't do it. And I wish I'd have started on dots a little sooner. I've been a very late uh, adapter of the red dot. So, but I really, going back to your comment about inboard, I've noticed this with my new students and most of my students are new shooters. Uh, they instinctively do the slingshot method or the inboard method. And the other nice thing about it is 
uh, unlike the gentleman that I had last week, don't have to put a Band-Aid on him when his finger gets caught in the ejection port. There's a lot less chance of them having grabbing it in the wrong place and having that ejection port uh, get clogged up. But starting sooner and going to appendix and red dot sooner are the three things I would change. Why would you go to appendix? It's easier to get to, uh, particularly from a seated position. Um, that would be the primary reason for doing it. Mm -hmm. I'm not necessarily worried about whether I can get to a sub-second draw or not. That's not, that's not my goal. Mm -hmm. But uh, when you're seated in a restaurant, seated in a car, uh, it's, it's just easier to get to it that way. Right. That would be my primary reason. What is preventing you from, from working on that now? I'm, I'm going to start working on it. I just, the same old excuses you hear about, it's not comfortable. I can't get it situated just right. And I, do, I just don't think I've spent the time to do it. I'm going to uh, look at a filster because I, I understand that's got a lot of adjustability that'll help me. My do tactical, thank you, Dan. My tactical muffin tends to get in the way. Um, and so I'm, I'm going to start doing it. I just wish I'd started it sooner. All right. Well, first person safety actually owns three Filster Enigma set up with different shells that are the most common guns that we would see coming through training classes. And as the director of engineering, you are entitled to use company assets. <laughs> Sounds great. Let's see. So, one of them will probably fit a Glock 19. And actually, I wonder if. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, one fits a J frame, a two, two inch J frame. One fits a three inch K frame, which would also fit any you know, snubby K-frame, and mm -hmm. the other fits a Glock 48. Well, I have but I have a 365 skeleton as well that could be put on on, on either of those. Are any of those left-handed? No, they're not left-handed, but I think you can. <laughs> this the 365 skeleton can be flipped and run the other way. Just curious. Yeah, it can be flipped and run the and you are certainly welcome to borrow them as well, Eric. And since Eric has piped up, Eric, your turn. Because you're next in the rotation on the clock face. Uh, see, I just got the bar across. Yeah. I would have gone back to school sooner. Um, the perspective going back to school gave me on the job. Um, being able to actually get my hands on the research that I always wondered why we weren't doing it. I was in a position where I could start seeing it for a change. Um, and it probably would have put me in a better position to try to deal with some of the issues at our academy. Equipment-wise, well, I could have done things different. I wouldn't change the road I went down um, because I was able to learn a fair amount from it and use that to validate other choices going forward or at least have an informed opinion on. Um, the comment about going to BJJ sooner, I played a lot of judo my first few years on the job and then, pun intended, rolled away from it because of our scheduling and stuff like that. Um, I would have stuck with judo, which probably would have led me to the BJJ later on. Um, and though, I guess the last thing would be I've gotten off night sooner in my career. <laughs> what from your graduate program was beneficial to you later in the career? The writing, um, being able to sit down <clears throat> across a table from administrators, both sworn and not, 
who had the National Academy or who had degrees, especially the folks from like the financial world. And this this is no slam on anybody who didn't pursue the formal education role. But when you can sit down and and play the what initials do you have after your name with with folks in county government, um, it, it takes away from the oh that's just a dumb cop. And when you're dealing with folks who have bachelor's and masters who control purse strings and programs, having the ability to to match I guess card for card in that role makes a difference. At least I I saw it make a difference when we could put folks with bachelor's or grad degrees up against folks with those. And it took away the, you're just a dumb cop thing. Yeah. My master's degree is in public administration. And in one of the classes that I took, I actually had to do a presentation on Griggs versus Duke power, which is a case that deals with disparate impact. And basically the, the crux of the issue is that even if a policy is neutral on its face, I'm like, there's nothing in the policy that is discriminatory whatsoever but the result of the policy still results in what is called a disparate impact then it's it's a no-go thing and what it was was the duke power company had a policy that in order to have a job inside the power plant instead of one outside the power plant they had to have a college degree i mean not a college degree a high school diploma and what will the end result of the policy was, was that minority people having high school diplomas at a lower rate were getting the inside jobs at a lower rate. And the company could not make a showing that showed why the inside jobs required a high school diploma. And what the Supreme Court says, if you can make a showing as to why the diploma is necessary for the inside job, then it's fine. But if not, your policy is resulting in a disparate impact. And I was sitting in a, in a meeting with the governing authority and we had two lieutenants whose pay was significantly lower than all of the other lieutenants. And what had happened was the other people had been in their, like the corporal grade longer, the sergeant grade longer, and then the lieutenant grade longer and had gotten raises in each of those positions. And then we had two people who were extremely fast risers. Mm-hmm and made it to lieutenant pretty quickly and never got significant raises at any of the earlier steps. And they also came along at a time and during a recession and the county wasn't giving raises. And so in one instance, uh, the sole female lieutenant was making $10,000 less than all the male lieutenants. I'm like, we gotta do something, you know, to, to, to make this right. And you know, I'm sitting there and one person in the room was not, there's nothing despair, you know, about this policy. This is the rule. It's fair across the board and everything. And I just sat there and go, and I looked over at the county attorney and I just said, Griggs versus Duke power. Mm-hmm. And that's all I said at that point. And the county attorney's like, he's right. You can write the check to them or you can write the check to me in court. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things. I, that's where if I had not been mm-hmm. through the graduate program and had that, and got to sign that specific case. I would not have known that. And it's just funny on how that goes. There's lots of things from a lot of my classes were on personnel development, organizational behavior and everything. And some of those topics now translate into the instructor world. On this show, I mentioned um, Bloom's taxonomy, 
numerous times. I've mentioned you know Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and you can actually start correlating onto that into the instructor world. And that's enough of me rambling. Eric Snyder. I will. When my first uh, seven years in the Air Force was nuke security, so I did a lot of decent firearms training there. Believe it or not, the Air Force does have a good program. But when I went to the BOP, uh, when I became an instructor, I was sort of disappointed because it seemed like the agency just pushed, they just want a safety monitor and you to administer a test, and that was it. When I got on sort, it got a lot better because we shot a couple times a month. I had a couple fellow sort trainers that became wardens that came back to Terre Haute and they sort of opened it up and let us sort of do our own thing and expand a little bit. But at the same time, it just was lacking. When I was an airman and in the military, these things called paper magazines we used to read, Dave Spaulding, Evan Marshall, uh, you name it, I, I was soaking it all up live kids career gets in the way but I was able to go to Dave Spaulding class and what a difference that night and day difference between any Fletsy classes there were some good Fletsy classes at the law enforcement center but Dave just blew it out of the way then I reached out to you had some classes with you and did the range master I wish I was would have been able to do that back in the 90s and grow on top of that but they just have a way of of explaining it and there's a lot of people in the military or even folks, fellow firearms instructors at the pen that thought they knew a lot until I took them to a USPSA match. Then this 15 year olds blow them out of the water and they're like, wow. So a lot of instructors think they know a lot, but they really, really don't. So I wish everybody would take it serious and go to some classes on their own instead of just doing agency stuff. It would make them just all around a better speaker, mentor, demonstrator, everything. And that was one of mine. Gosh. <laughs> Sorry, Matt. <laughs> you know, I got my first instructor certification in 2003. And I think I finally started to figure out what I knew what I was doing in about 2016. Uh, <laughs> yeah, in 2014, I found the open enrollment training world. And it the first week in April of 2014, I took a class with Tom Givens. Later that month, I did the Rogers Shooting School Sunday through Friday, Ken Hackathorn class Saturday, Sunday. Um, and it's like I walked through the mat, you know, in all the old movies, and they open up the door and you walk in, and there's all the martial arts training going on around the room. It was kind of like that. And it's like, oh, wow, there's just all this great stuff. I wish I had known that earlier. Um, and it's kind of funny that I have a local shooting buddy named Kevin Layman's. And Kevin would go to classes like Ken Hackathorn and Todd Lewis Green and some of the other guys that when they would come into the metro Atlanta area. And he'd be like, hey, Lee, you want to go to this class with me? Like, How much is it? And he's like, $450. And I'm like, I can buy a new Glock for that. And then I can go to a class at the training center for free. It was like, how many great classes in my backyard did I let go by and not get in on them? Everything. And it just how how much more quickly would I have gotten to where I am now and how much better of an instructor would I have been for all those years if I had gone to classes back then? So Let me add something real quickly. Sure. Um, one other thing I'm kicking myself for is two people I know, my sheriff, I knew him from shooting USPSA from the mid-90s. We never hang around, 
hung around or anything. We just met at matches and sort of chased each other there. He's a gunsight instructor, Jared Ball. Uh-huh. And Eric knows another friend of mine, Jerry Parsley, the sheriff of Clark County, Illinois, across the state line, is a gunsight instructor. I wish I would have reached out to them before now, but just life gets in the way and you don't know what you don't know till you go. Please don't hold those things against me. That's what he said. All right, Dan Brady. So I'm going to attack this three different ways. And the first will be gear, the will be uh, technique, and the third will be social. Uh, gear, guys, I, I wish I had gone to Kydex way earlier than I went to Kydex. Um, I insisted that, that leather was as good for a very, very long time. And I would say, I would say up until about 2013, I was right because uh, early Kydex did suck. Um, I I do wish I'd made the transition a little bit earlier. <clears throat> Technique wise, I wish I had stopped pinning a trigger to the rear. Um, I don't know about 14 years earlier. Oh, that's uh, so <laughs> because it it is man. Like, I mean, how do you do that for? I mean, Lee, you've been a cop a little bit longer than me. You know, uh, Nat's also been a cop just a bit longer than me. And man, we held that bitch to the rear for a time and it just didn't need to happen. And uh, I, I still to this day have a tough time making my finger move fast enough, you know, for some of the upper echelon drills. Uh-huh. Socially speaking, um, you know, I, I did, I got in with Dave Spaulding pretty early uh, before Handgun Combatives was even a company, uh, you know, 2003, 2004. Um, but at the time, I was also really trying to push patrol rifle stuff in my agency. And so I was really, really focused on the, the patrol rifle aspect rather than the handgun. So I spent way too much time at places like Blackwater um, doing rifle oriented stuff rather than handgun oriented stuff. Um, and had I known what I know now, I would have gotten with uh, range master way earlier. Cause I recall probably 2007, 2008 reading one of Tom's article about changing handgun qualification. It made total sense to me. And I wish I'd gotten involved then around the same time frame, uh, I was involved with the, old uh 10-8 forums with hilton yam eric um uh craig douglas was on there back when he was just known as south narc um and i i wish i had pursued a little bit more in-person interaction with those guys uh back before beard was completely gray um and that I, those are those are the, the things that i can probably come up with real easy off the top of my head but i know now if i could go back and change that man i would be a much much better instructor than i am now and the plethora of students i have had along the way would all be far more advanced than they are and perpetuating that generational cycle and cutting everybody's learning curve off and making it shorter than my own uh, would have been that much more gratifying 
So gonna... what Dan's saying is is spot on. I wish I would have been able to jungle the the department teaching, gun site teaching, and being a student a little bit more equally. Because while I did try to get to classes, I wasn't catching, like Dan's talking about, as many of those other guys earlier. And Todd Lewis Green's, the anniversary of Todd Lewis Green's death was yesterday. And I yeah. really kick myself for not having gotten to a Todd class when he was alive. Um, I wish I would have gotten to I, Craig earlier in life. Same. So and you know, completely supporting you, Dan. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm sad that I never got to train with, with Todd Lewis Green. Uh, um, it really bothers me that I never got to meet William April in person. Um, I mean, that, that physically hurts every time I see uh, him mentioned, I'm, I shake my head at myself. And, you know, there's only so much money that to, to go around the training budget, you know, especially when you're a young cop. Um, you know, you got a family, you got, uh, and, you know, if wishes were fishes, you know, I would have bet at the beginning of the 2004, uh, baseball season, I would have bet, you know, a thousand bucks on the Red Sox and I'd be, you know, a friggin' millionaire by now. But, uh, that's, you know, th those, those are the things that I can, then I can easily come up with Lee. I hope that answers. Oh yeah. I want to come back question. to the social thing for, for round two, uh, that, trigger pinning thing is a direct result of instructors who did not stay current and valid and who misinterpreted information they were given and never grew beyond it uh dave spalding no, that now yeah dave spalding ha has has posted content about that uh i discovered reco reset during recovery completely by accident and a class so it wasn't at rogers but it was on a rogers range and it's like i was trying to push for speed i was like i wonder if i can reset the trigger while i'm in you know the recoil recovery and like, oh wow i can do that and i came back to the agency and i was like hey guys did you know that you can do and like shut up Williams, we don't care <laughs> and, all right and i was over there doing it but not knowing how to teach it and not and understanding what was really going on with all of that um you know you speaking of todd green Kevin Lehmans, who I've already mentioned, sent me a link to something Todd Green wrote, which got me to Pistol Form, which is how I met Tom Givens, which is how all of this has transpired. So God bless Todd Green. Somebody was piping up. Oh, uh, Utah Post is still teaching. Pin the trigger. Yeah. You know, and then the, it was always meant to be an intermediary step to teach the difference between the double action trigger press and the single action trigger press on a traditional double action pistol. And it was like, well, they'll learn how to grow beyond this and do the second thing while, and that well, whole part got lost. And it, then it also ultimately it turned into a selling point for Glocks because, mm -hmm. Hey, we have this tangible, very mm -hmm. obvious reset. Now we don't, don't pay any attention to the Smiths. MMPs mm -hmm. suck because they don't have that tangible reset. Yeah. Wait a minute. Yeah. Eric loves that. I could just, yeah. Go ahead, Eric. I can see it all over your face. He's muted. <laughs> I'm muted. Sorry. That whole. <sighs> yeah. So if you take, yeah, if you take the pin, the pin, the trigger thing, and, and you, and the guys don't know to advance from it, 
that's usually frustrating, right? But writing the reset, right? I've seen folks complain about both ways. The first gen MMPs took a lot of flack because we couldn't feel the reset on it. Yep. Run it all the way out, run Have it to all get an the apex. way back. Get an apex, we'll fix well, it. The reason I went all apex and still do is not because it fixed the reset. It was because it cleaned up a trigger that felt like somebody filled the frame full of sand. Sand, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, it's just, there's arguments I don't want to have and that's one of them. Yeah. But yeah, we historically, too many of us forgot that, yes, okay, now that you figured out, don't throw your finger off the trigger into the, the, you know, the atmosphere, just maintain contact with it and ride. We forgot to go, okay, now do that. Now start doing that here. So, and what it morphed into is the stimulus to press the trigger was that reset, not what your sights were saying. Yes, God. yes, yes. And that's what slowed everybody down agency-wise is that you're, you're letting your tactile sensations dictate your cadence of fire rather than your vision. And that's, if I think about that now, and that's the dumbest thing I could imagine. And so, so I just taught uh, a brief little thing at, at the department. I, we just did calls on Tuesday, brand new shooter. And I was explaining to him, okay, this is why you don't want to do it. Your target's an actual threat. Okay, let's pretend like it's going to kill you. How much attention do you want to put on that trigger? And how much attention do you want to put on that threat? Because I've seen people under stress think that they let out the trigger and press again. And now they think they have a dead gun because they didn't let it out. And then they start racking their gun and no, let out the trigger. Press. The gun goes off. Magic. If I wanted to completely derail this, I would get into uh, gross motor skills and sending the slide forward after reload because that whole nonsense that just permeated and like people would stand up and would defend it and like to the death. And I'm like, how did the magazine get out of the gun? <laughs> so my thumb was smart enough to release it with a two stump. Back up. Can and, we go? Can we go back to the guys from Austria who <laughs> told everybody yep. not to touch that thing on the side of the gun that made the slide stay back? Right. Yep. That until the Glocks came out, I had never heard it. I had never seen that taught. Mm -hmm. And they built a whole training regime around that and their audible reset and tactile reset of the trigger. Yep. And yeah, Matt. Oh, I'm sorry, Dan, did you have something? If else? you think, if you think, if you, yeah, but I mean, what you just talked about, those two things about a slide release and about a tactile trigger press, that was an argument for what, 25 years? Mm -hmm. Like, like a legit argument between legit trainers and people who know what they're talking about. Well, obviously, that was once a, I did a long term conversation. <laughs> now, now mm -hmm. yep oh i remember going to a quote officer survival class uh several years ago and i did a reload and i sent the slide board with the slide stop and the instructors who were SWAT cops stopped the class and got up and taught a whole thing on gross motor skills and sending the slide forward and everything oh, okay. that's just gross yeah, and then I won their shooting drill for to win the whole class thing and came back home. All right. Matt. So it sounds like 
Yeah, everyone's already said all mine. So I would have <laughs> changed to a Rode microphone and changed my lighting and use a DSLR so I'm even more handsome. Um, so early on, I think I should have focused more on handgun. Um, I took every rifle class because it was easy. Shooting carbines, it's fun. It's easy. Pistol took a little bit more focus. Screw that. I don't need that. Um, I think, I, I don't remember. Well, someone already kind of said that. But yeah, that, that was a, that's a big one for me that I still bring up. Um, the ability to host professional instructors earlier and stop being completely reliant on department training. Department training is a minimum standard. I want to go beyond that. Um, I think I'm still a bit of a pariah when it comes to that. When I bring up, hey, these guys are coming into town. Why don't, you, why don't we go? Hey, they're in Salt Lake. Will Petty is going to be teaching this class. It's only a thousand bucks. Come on. Um, being able to host people, though, that I, I, I should have. It's, and it's intimidating, especially as a, as a, as a younger male, whatever, trying to get these professional instructors, these people that you look up to and you don't realize they're just people. Pat Rogers was the first person I ever hosted. And I, I, I hosted him for a number of years and learned so much from that guy. Um, and when he passed, that also goes into one, someone brought up uh, the passing of instructors and uh, missing the opportunity to, uh, to train with some of these people. That's, that's real. Uh, we have some awesome people among us right now. Eric could die tomorrow. And all of us just missed the chance to train with him. Yeah, go ahead, Eric. He, 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 he can't he can't because I'm signed up to take class with him in June. So he's got to live at least oh, okay. since then. <laughs> we, we were we were fortunate in that we got we got crossways with our academy over some issues we had with them. And one of their comments was, what gives you guys the right to have the opinion you have about the quality of our training? So I had to actually go research what the amount of training all of our instructors had. And we found like we had five or six guys who had who went to a bunch of classes on their own dime on time. We had a handful of guys who had the, the basic instructor class of maybe one or two more. And then we had a big chunk of people who 10 years ago had the basic firearms instructor class. And I'm like, oh, this is not acceptable. And what we got was a commitment from the organization to fund instructor update training every other year. And that rolled into our defensive tactics guys as well. And that, that had huge changes in the defensive tactics program. We at least got everybody current on the firearm side and kept them current. And we'd already made an organizational decision as to how we, what kind of philosophy we were going to adopt. So I was fortunate. I had Bill Jeans, Pat Rogers, Louis Auerbuck, Scotty Reitz. Um, for many years, those were the guys we had coming in to do our, our recurrent training for the instructors. And it was, it was very solid. That sounds like a dream. You I know, Matt, you mentioned the hosting thing. I took over as chief deputy in 2009. I didn't host anybody until 2014. Yeah. That's five years yeah. that I could have jump-started things that, that would have made everything else easier along that way. Some of the battles that I fought internally, et cetera, it just yeah. and what I'm going to talk about on the next round. Yeah. Uh, it would have made so many of those issues 
so much solved so much more simply yeah um had i you know in 29 2009 or 2010 like all right well we're gonna start bringing these guys in and as eric said you develop your instructors because when i started bringing in outside guys i would use the host slots that they would give us for hosting the class to bring our instructor cadre up to speed. yeah and then it wasn't just me fighting this battle against the state training center. It was their buddy on shift going, no, 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 this is actually a better way. And um, things that I couldn't get done as me individually within the agency when I had other cadre also saying the same thing because I, I just had to relieve a guy from teaching who I caught going behind me unteaching what I had just taught. And yeah, you know, that was a big challenge. Eric, did you have something else on that? Oh, you know, I agree. Um, it is possible, th though, for an individual officer to change an agency. And I have a buddy who just went through that, and he has made some huge changes. And I, I don't think I can drop his name yet. Like, I don't think he. I don't think he's comfortable about it. But some of the things he's done for a state agency is amazing, and he is. His work's been. It's inspirational. Um, I have a couple more, uh, pay attention to setting up financial retirement options, getting close to retirement. Oh crap. I should have done something. Mm -hmm. Um, public speaking courses. I should have been paying attention to that. That would have been made so many more. I, I, I think ultimately for me, uh, being a school resource officer, air cop, that kind of thing for a few years, that definitely helped with the, with the public speaking. I work for a small agency. I do a lot of well, I'm talking to everyone and also doing presentations on the side. Um, and lastly, the last thing I have is I should have been focusing a little bit more on family and not as much on the career. I did a short little video about that talking about, yeah, boy, when I'm off duty, I'm off duty. Mm -hmm. I am not on duty. I'm not on patrol when I'm on, when I'm off duty. I also don't need to carry everything that I would carry on duty when I'm off duty. And I just need to change my mindset. Fortunately, now I've, yeah, I'm, I'm a couple years out from, from retiring and I figured it out now. Only took, I don't know how many years. Yeah. It's hard change. Yeah. All right. I've already mentioned Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And that was one of those things that I learned about in graduate school from a management standpoint from as far as like employees but i never realized how it applied over to also being an instructor and you know theories of motivation etc on how to get people to um, you know motivated and to pursue the agency goals as well and some of their personal goals and um when i had a jerry mccown on, on the show on one of his episodes we got on the subject of maslow and he brought up, you know, one of those things is the, the self-actualization and the ego part of it. He says, you know, as an instructor, if you damage someone's ego, you lose them as a student forever. And I immediately started picturing some instances in which I had done that as an instructor, um, particularly within the agency. Um, and I, just, I can flash back on things that I wish that I could go back and change and do over again and some relationships that were damaged 
and that I've never, ever, ever been able to repair. And I'm still fighting some of those battles uh, within the agency now that I, I still can't get through to some some people. And it's because of me, not because of the material. It's just it was that I did something that damaged their ego. And I can't, there's no way to fix it at this point other than I keep trying. And maybe it'll maybe it'll it'll cross over. So that's my biggest regret from the teaching side. And so I'd like to go around and say, what is your biggest regret in your journey? And that's my biggest regret in mine because I know that I have shortcut my ability to deliver the information that I need to get to my my people. And uh, Steve, you're up. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> My biggest regret in my training. Or your whole journey with, with the whole thing. It, it could be from what, you know, biggest regret from the teaching side, biggest regret from the student side, biggest regret from whatever. From the, from the student side, which several people have mentioned already, not training with enough different trainers. I was fortunate enough to, to take a class from Dave Spaulding when you brought him to your range. It's fortunate enough to, Spent a little time with William April when he came, when you had him down uh, in your area. Uh, never got to train with John Farnham uh, yet, uh, although we get to see him at TACCON. Uh, I never knew uh, Todd Lewis Green or Pat Rogers. Uh, I'm old enough that if I, back to my, I wish I'd started sooner. I could have spent time with all those guys. I could have had a week out there at the gun site, maybe even before Eric got there. Uh, Although it'd been great if you were there, um, so, and from the, so from a student side, I, I would say that from a teaching side, I wish I would have maybe uh, spent more time trying to build it up a little bit. I get it. I get a lot of satisfaction from teaching people, but I at at my age, I don't really pursue it as a career, but I do it when the opportunity presents itself, and. I'm right now I'm toying with, or not toying with, I'm struggling with, do I dive in? Do I dive in heavier or do I ride along like I'm doing, or do I sort of relax a little bit? Cause I'm not getting any younger. Um, I don't know if that answers your question real well or not. Mm -hmm. uh, the thing I don't regret is all the time I spent with the range master family. Uh, you know, Everett talked earlier about how, he wished he'd have run into Tom Givens or done something with, with the range master group, you know, 10, 15 years earlier. I ran into that group early on in my training. I haven't been training that long, but I ran into it early on. And that, and there's not a day goes by. I don't feel blessed that that happened because we're not, I'm not going to name any names. I don't want to have anybody get startled. So um, I don't want to see any startle responses from any names I might drop. But I'm, I'm just glad I didn't, uh, I'm glad I fell in with the right group because there's other people I could have fallen in with and, and developed a different mindset or a different bias or a different prejudice. Am I biased towards range master? Yes, I am because, because it is such a good group of people. Well, Eric, uh, Steve being the get back coach and director of engineering has called an audible. And so when you give your biggest regrets, you can also give the biggest thing that you don't regret. Is that for me? Yes, that's for you. Okay. I talked on, I think I talked about this on a PNS episode where we had Tiffany on. 
in hindsight, I became an instructor too early, organizationally. And I, I got on at less than three years on the job because I was shooting competition at the time. I did not have the experience and I definitely did not have the knowledge to be teaching that early. Um, because one of the things I later on looked on for the organization was like, you had to have some credibility with your peers, right? Which, which comes from experience being on the street. And I know I didn't have it then. Um, and I was prob I probably had left doctrinal and had gone into dogmatic with some stuff in that era. And it wasn't until later, and I'll say post my Iraq trip, which was about mid-career for me, where I got to the point where I could understand principles and philosophies versus specific techniques. And I wish, my, my regret on the teaching side is that I would have had more experience before I started teaching so that I hopefully would have gotten to my principles and philosophies stage sooner and gotten out of the doctrine and dogma stuff faster. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So, because I think now I look at a lot of stuff from what's the principle, what's the philosophy, because this six foot 12 dude over here, that technique does or doesn't work for him. And this five foot three gal over here has to do something different, but can they both accomplish and meet the principle I'm trying to get them to? Because if I can do that, then that's success versus just you have to do A, B, and C, which is just doing A, B, and C. Now, that's a good one. Oh, yeah. You know, it's, I used to spend time in classes on trying to convince people why isosceles was better than Weaver, even though at the time I did not know actually what Weaver was. You know, <laughs> now I do. Um, and certain other things like that. And finally, it just, it just I decided, you know what, folks, here's, here's a, the answer for isosceles versus Weaver. I suggest you use one. Yeah. Have, have a way to shoot the gun. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what matters? Get the gun between you and the bad guy in a usable form. Press the trigger without misaligning the gun. That's what matters when it comes to using a firearm to save your life. And, you know, it's one of the, you know, if we were picking people based on a great body of knowledge and then developing them as instructors and having them do an apprentice thing and everything. And you actually walk them to the range, teaching your first class, knowing what you're doing. Uh, that would be ideal. I graduated from instructor school in 2003, as I already said, and I came out knowing that I didn't know how to teach anybody how to shoot. And my agency was like, yeah, we had this guy, the Academy just called, he failed his qual. You've got to get him fixed by Monday or he's going to fail out of the academy. I'm like, really? I don't know. Yeah, uh, I know I got the certificate, but I don't know what I'm doing. And so I just tried. And I didn't know. And that's one of the problems with the institutional schools is there's no time spent on actual coaching individual students and fixing and diagnosing <clears throat> and fixing their problems. But we've got these people with paper and a badge or paper and a nice green uniform. And well, they're a combat guy, they're a cop, they got a certificate, they accidentally know what they're doing. It was when private sectors were actually learned and developed. And yeah, a lot of those guys were also cops or soldiers who were teaching that stuff. But 
you know, I got it in those classes, not the institutional. This is your big instructor certification that the government's actually going to recognize. Eric, was there something you would like to say about really proud of? He's still alive. Yeah, I'm still alive. Uh, yeah, going off the chart, I, I yeah, I am still glad I'm I'm alive and kicking. Um, but that's a, that's a different topic for a different day. Um, mm -hmm. Probably two things, and they happened at the same time, right around the time I retired. I, I think I did some good things in my organization, but I had the chance right around the time I retired to take on Gunsight Student Handbook and the Pistol Mounted Optics Program down there. And to be able to rewrite the student handbook and bring in things like human factors, bring in things about a platform, not a not a not one or the other, but what we're trying to accomplish with the platform. Get get some of this stuff updated. Um, and at the same time, take a look at what was going on with pistol-mounted optics and meld them with what was going on with the modern technique, not recreate somebody else's program, but bring in a sighting system that has some things about it there that are a bit different than the traditional modern technique and getting the two to work together and, and having it be successful enough that the students and the bosses are happy with the, that program and that the feedback on the book has been the same. That's great. Yeah, just one thing to tag on with that. Um, I listen to other people's opinion on the modern technique and all the gunsight stuff and I come along and I didn't go to the source soon enough. And it shaped my opinions and I took what other people said because they appeared to know what they were talking about as 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 fact. And when I actually went back and challenged those those presumptions against the source materials, kind of like, actually, I kind of like this thing over here. Yeah. I think there's there's merit to that, and I think that's one of those things as far as growth and experience. And then if we actually challenge some of the things like pinning the trigger, right, uh, gross motor skills, you know, a lot of that stuff that that was browbeaten upon, that was dogma, not doctrine. And when I started looking at the principles, as you discussed. Uh, it really changed some perspectives. If you look at Bloom's taxonomy, that's like one of the higher levels of instructors being able to actually start evaluating material for whether or not it's quality material and then synthesizing yeah. from there. And with that, Everett. When I was an instructor for BOP, they have two, they have a basic line instructor where you're sort of under the direction of the lead. Your hands are sort of tied with what you can do. So you sort of have to go with the program, so to speak. Uh, when I became a lead, I was given the leeway to sort of do more so I could sort of tailor it. And where that was important, like you mentioned, you have a six foot four sort guy that's doing his annual qualification and a five foot one religious service secretary. BOP qualifies everybody. What works for one doesn't work for the other. But Glencoe has their way. You got to do it their way. It's the only way. Well, it doesn't work. On the firearms instructor test at Glencoe, they were, we were using double action only Berettas. The trigger pull was so horrendous that on the test question, it was allowed for 
females or anyone to use two fingers to pull the trigger. That just sounded crazy to me. If I could go back, my one regret is I wish I wouldn't have took the answer no as a line, as a line instructor and sort of spoke up a little bit more. I think I could have made a change. I had a good rapport with a lot of people because I brought a sort of a sense of calm to the, a lot of the staff that were not shooters. They didn't want to shoot. They just shot once a year. I got them through the course. I tried to improve them every year, but what do you do when staff don't want to improve? They're just doing it for their job. So as far as my civilian instructor, uh, journey, I will say, I think that helped me there, but I think what would have helped me more is if I would have done some more speaking, uh, classes, stuff like that. That was my one, my other regret on that part. What's something that you're proud of that you're glad that you did? I was able to turn the program around. I don't know how it is now. Uh, as far as everybody sort of was at ease when they came to the range, I, I tried to run a clean range. I had the line instructors. They had certain tasks they had to accomplish. Dan? Well, I, I think my biggest regret uh, is probably not learning how to shut up a lot earlier i'm still not good at it i'm just i'll get that out of the way you you know me well enough to know that lee i'm 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 still not good at it but i'm a lot better than i was 25 years ago um and i i don't have too many regrets on the teaching aspect of things but I do have some regrets in I was unabashed in making enemies with my mouth I'm just telling people exactly what I thought of them without any fear of the long-term repercussions of what making enemies will do to you in this career field um you know, when you make enemies with somebody who's a senior sergeant, when you're a boot, uh, they become the deputy chief way sooner than you would think they would. And they make your life very, very difficult. So that's probably one of my biggest career regrets. Um, instructionally, I, I kind of touched on that with the whole rifle thing. Uh, you know, I really went after the patrol rifle thing. I, th I think Matt touched on that uh, as well, that, uh, man, AR-15s are really fun and very easy to shoot well. And it can make you look real good if you know how to run one. Um, so the, the, the sort of chicks dig it factor kind of played in there because um, I was young and stupid. And now I'm middle-aged and stupid. So um I, I don't mind pursuing the harder skills. Uh, something I'm proud of. 
as much as I regret not getting the the social aspect that I touched on the first kind of go around uh, of getting around to the Todd Lewis Greens and the the William Aprils, um, I prioritized my family, man. Um, you know, I had kids pretty young. Um, my oldest is off at college. My son is 17. My youngest started driver's ed today. Um, so I, I was, I was there for my family. I was there for my kids. Um, I, 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 I think I did a pretty fair job supporting my, uh, my now ex-wife's academic career. Um, you know, per, her pursuing her PhD, um, you know, I, I, I did prioritize that and I, I don't regret that at all. I think I did a pretty fair job there. Eh, I think that's about it for me. You know, speaking of getting in trouble with your mouth and the whole <laughs> patrol rifle thing, um, I make no secret that I am not a fan of the AR-15 as for the role that it gets pressed into so many times because I think mechanical offset is an issue, a major issue. And the only reason that it doesn't rear its ugly head more often is that shootings in general are by cops are rare. And then shootings with patrol rifles are even more rare um, that we don't have the catastrophic effects that, that could, could come from that one thing. And I harped on it hard in a class just this past year. And I later get the feedback from a couple other guys. It was like, yeah, some of the, some of the new guys are like, why do we, why are we issued this junk? And like, they didn't, what I intended to impart was the importance of accounting for mechanical offset at closer ranges, which they're going to actually be using the rifles more. And what came across is we've seen Caesar junk, but why do we have them? to some of the people who could not make that that discerning leap and that's just one of those things where as an instructor you got to be careful what's coming out of this what's coming out of your mouth because the audience you don't know what they're hearing and uh, steve was it you that, that that brought up the quote one time is explain things so that they can that they can't be misunderstood um i've heard that before i won't i i may have mentioned it but it's obviously yeah. not mine. Okay. I heard it from Rich Mason, I don't know how many years ago, right. over at Darcy. Okay. You know, and that's the thing is that I intended to get one thing across. This is important. You must do this. And what would they hear? You know, these are junk. This is a problem, et cetera. Because in doing so, I reiterated a story about a, a cop not accounting for mechanical offset and killed a baby that was being held held hostage and Williams hates ARs because they kill babies is one of the feedback that I got <laughs> and red dots yeah and uh yeah of course the internet can't be wrong about the red dot thing and uh, yeah, had I stuck to the material of the drills and let the drills speak for themselves and let them see the results and kind of focused on that instead of me rambling about my philosophy on that probably would have been more effective and in the information that i was trying to get across Matt no but oh, go ahead Dad. i mean you, you you know this going through graduate school that 
communication, you know, involves the speaker, the message and the listener um, and, and all the things that you unintentionally put into communication. I mean, it's one of the things that who was it who said that they they started teaching way before they had any business to do so? Was that Eric? Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm I'm 100 percent there in that I was. I was saying things with my body language that I did not intend to push across. And like you said about, you know, a simple message about mechanical offset comes off as these things are junk. I, I don't know how many people I misinformed with the way I said things rather than the things that I said. Very good point. Very good point. Matt Linfair. Hi, Lee. Wait a minute, I should do it like Matt does. Matt? That's right. <laughs> um, changing tangible solutions and not knowledge or skill-based solutions. Essentially trying to spend money on things to make up for skill. Pay no says attention the to the guy. wall behind me. Yeah. Says, yeah. says the guy with $100,000 worth of guns on his wall. No attention to the man behind the curtain. It's okay. They're airsoft. It's they all are. Right. Yeah, especially that blue one. I guess I turned the wrong way. That the blue one right, right there. That's just yeah. a computer generated background. It is. It is. Oh, I thought you were at the Gallery of Guns uh, warehouse. I, I I live there. Yeah. Uh, give an example, Matt. Um. Well, hell. Basically. I remember, let's see here, buying, buying things that I thought, you know what, that this is, this is going to change it. This is going to, mm -hmm. everything's going to be better after buying this. Unfortunately, I can't think of any specifics. I just remember thinking that thinking this is going to change it. This, this gun or this, yeah. this goofy holster. Oh yeah. This is going to, this is going to solve all my problems. Now it doesn't, it needs, I need, I need training. Mm -hmm. you know going going 45 acp that's that's all i need yeah no well you know that's been some of my gripe with the advent of the pistol matted optic it's not that i have a disagreement with the optic in general yeah. it's that people are trying to use it as a crutch yeah see now i completely i yeah absolutely fortunately for me i i'd never approached it like that i i saw it as Okay, my skill set with pistol, I've never claimed to be, a, uh, I'm not an awesome pistolero. I have seen tangible benefits from going optic. And then I, I really started pursuing, okay, I need to, I need to get better. And what I've seen with pistol optics specifically is it's helped me with irons and then with my dry fire. So if I'm, if I'm dry firing, not necessarily that this is it, but if I'm dry firing this guy, my staccato dry fire or my staccato performance actually improves and my staccato shooting with the dot helps this guy for those of you on the audio feed, oh yeah the double point. action revolver yeah yeah there are tangible benefits from dry firing with both or dry practice with both um but yeah just being young dumb buying whatever gimmick and thinking oh this, this is going to solve everything i don't need to i don't need to invest any any skill set. I don't need to invest time and in go into a class or waste money on those dumb classes. I just buy this item and this does it for me. That's what I see, like everybody probably does, is people throw that $400 optic on, come into the range, 
it doesn't help them because they don't put it in the practice. Yeah. We, we had had a guy that uh, loved the trinket, and I, just like you're you're saying there, man. Yeah. Like wanted the latest gadget, wanted to do the stuff, and his skill never got any better. Yeah. And I arranged for him to go to a class with Tom Givens. He didn't have to pay tuition. He drove a sheriff's office vehicle with sheriff's office gas in it, shooting sheriff's office ammunition, and he got paid to be there. And at the end, you know, he, he comes to see me the next week and he's all excited about the class. And I'm like, so now instead of the next time going to spending 500 bucks on that new gadget, how about you put that 500 bucks into training? And it's like, if you'll, if you make the investment to go to training, I'll match it. I'll help provide the ammo. I'll help provide the stuff. But he fell right back into that thing of wanting the gadget not necessarily well, it's tangible yeah but one of my favorite counters to that is i gotta take my knowledge and my skill anywhere i go i can't mm -hmm. take that gun everywhere right eric you know i was just gonna say is if you look back at ken hackathorn's video that caused a lot of rage and discontent on the internet Ken that was, was a good talking video. about yes but he was talking about that exact thing right that if you're not going to practice it it practice with it, it's going to be a fad if you think you can buy a pistol with an optic on it load it not even zero it throw it in a sock drawer and come back two years later and defend your family that's not going to work that's what ken was talking about yep. but folks that that just get hung up on the material solution kind of lost their freaking minds over ken pointing out that maybe works required how dare you Everything that he said in that video was exactly spot on and people made the emotional, well, he's attacking what I, the choices that I have made and he's old and past his prime and all this stuff that uh, some of the, the he nonsense. Hates red yeah. Just like Lee. Yeah. And, just like yeah. Lee. And, but he and, likes onions. He no, Lee does not like onions. <laughs> no, Ken uh, does. He might, he might. And it was funny, you know, as I, I I was fortunate enough to have a phone conversation with Mr. Hackerthorne not long after that video came out. We talked about some of the response to it and everything. And it's like, everything that he's saying was spot on. He's like, and in the video, he never said anything anti-dot for like a general across the board approach. What he said was, if you're going to do this, you need to develop the skill to which it becomes a benefit to you or else it's no good. You know what's and really cool? Oh, you know what's really cool about you saying that right now? Mm -hmm. You are not going to listen. You're not going to lose a single listener by what you just said. All right. That's a compliment to your your dumb. Well, thank you. By the way. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> there's not enough of them to lose. There are any, three so. of them, <laughs> <laughs> and they're all here tonight. They're all right here. Yeah. <laughs> now we play. Guess which one isn't a listener? <laughs> yeah. Long time caller, first time listener. <laughs> yeah, that, that 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 whole it's, it's just amazing how dogmatic people can get and how easily they can be offended. And, I've and been Dan, you that. talked earlier about making enemies, you know, with your mouth. I mean, now we we inadvertently, unintentionally do it with our fingers on the keyboard, and, and it's just I'm flabbergasted at the things that people will take offense at or argue about. 
And I've used this quote before. It reminds me of the guy that spent 30 years of his life proving that the Odyssey was not written by Homer, but by another Greek that had the same name. And these people will just do this all day long. And I just don't get it. To your point, it can be that. It could be isosceles versus Weaver. And, you know, I came to this. I didn't become an instructor to do instructing per se, or I didn't pursue my certification because of that. I was, I got involved in IDPA and the next thing I know, they're asking me to help with the match. And then next thing you know, I'm running the match. All the other guys have left and people are asking me for advice. And I said, well, if they're going to ask me for advice, I better go get a certification. And thank God I went and got a range master certification. I never, I've never done NRA. I've never done USCCA. I, I just went straight to range master and you know, there was a few NRA instructors in that class and a couple of them didn't get diplomas. So I got, you know, I was very fortunate to get into, into the range master group, but, and I'm going to tie back into the, the equipment thing. It's like golfers. There are golfers that will spend $5,000 a year on new clubs and new drivers and everything else, but they won't spend a dime on a lesson. Now let's go, let's tie that into technique. How many different golf swings do you see just watching a PGA tour event? There's 60 golfers there. There's at least 47 different swings. The only thing that matters is, is the club head square when it hits the ball. Well, with shooting, the only thing that matters is are the sights on the target when the bullet leaves the barrel. And, and, there's, a, and there's different ways to get it there depending on your size and age and everything else. And people just want to argue about it all day long. And it just, I just, it kills me. And now I'll shut up. Well, the common denominator there is people. Yeah. And it really doesn't matter the interest. If, if you're not in the That Wings Guy show group on, on Facebook, uh, you did not see my rant this week on farming videos on YouTube. <laughs> and listen to last night's. And last, last, last night's uh, PNS episode. And it just, it just fascinates me. It's like they have the same arguments that, gum people have but it's just over different stuff i watched a video this morning that was a debate over whether or not you should like a big round bale of hay whether you should put that to your livestock in the big round bale form or whether you should unroll it and like that's a topic of debate and it's just okay that's iron versus dot that's nine versus 45 and it's just whatever people are, are interested in. It's where the support elbow goes. Yeah. And I got, I got, go I ahead, got, Dan. I got, or Eric, who was that speaking of? So it, it was, it was me. Okay. So last year, I don't know, end of last summer, beginning of the fall, I was having a conversation and it was, it was on Facebook and it was me, Tim Heron, and a couple other people who I can't, I can't place. But I said something about the applicability of the dot in the place of irons and the natural instinct of human beings to be target focused. And Tim Herring goes, you know, you can do that with irons too, right? And I stopped for a second and I thought about it and I was like, yeah, so I'm an idiot. Um, <laughs> and uh the other thing that, uh, you know, uh, Matt brought up the, uh, the double action revolver just a minute or two ago. And I think Lee, I think it was you the last time you and I were together. I think, I think it was you who said people who shoot double action revolvers. Well, 
shoot everything well. And I have spent mm, a good portion of the last two months putting an awful lot of trigger time dry fire into a Smith and Wesson <laughs> double action revolver. <laughs> and lo and behold, uh, I'm, I'm dropping sub two second bill drills now with Glocks and, and Walters. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you, you might be old fashioned and, and also just old, but you, you kind of know, you kind of know what you're talking about. Lee. <laughs> Speaking of making enemies with your mouth. <laughs> I think well, graded on the curve. He's not old at all. So. <laughs> you know, it, Steve mentioned about the NRA uh, guys. Yeah. I, I did an NRA class instructor class just because the state of Ohio didn't want to accept Fletzy stuff. But if I was at this NRA, I was mm-hmm. golden to teach over there. So that's three days of my life. I won't get back. Don't recommend it, but you get these folks like NRA or military. think they're all that or red dots. They think, and you send them to a class like the range master and they either get really, really humbled or they get really, really mad. And you don't know what you're talking about. It's, it's not them. It's, it's you. Have you ever seen that? Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and just, uh, I know Everett would agree with this. There are many, many fine NRA instructors. Oh yes. But they aren't, they aren't fine instructors because of that three day program. No, it's just is what it is. I'll just leave it there. Yeah. I was reading the requirements to be a North Carolina concealed carry instructor last week and was struck by the fact that the uscca and nra certifications are accepted but like a fletzy 80 hour certification yep. would not be yep all right all right dan you ready to get your mind blown again always man <laughs> okay if you are focused on the target and not the sighting system how do you see the red dot because it's it's in front uh, it's in between but you can't see it unless you're looking at it that, that <laughs> you, you know as well as i that ain't true no it is true how do you know where the dot is unless you're looking at it it's some some part of your brain has to be looking at the dot okay so when you're referring to focal planes mm-hmm right? Being inherently target focused, right? right, Where the greatest clarity of your vision is the dot interrupts that. You can do the same thing with iron sights, right? Yes, you can. I, I don't know. I, uh, isn't isn't the iron sight depending on how your eyes work so at my you know i keep talking about how old i am i'm I'm 70 years old my eyes aren't what they used to be and so the front side's a little blurry the target's in focus don't you have to change focus a little bit when you go or some people if you focus on that front side to where you can see the serrations maybe the target's a little fuzzy for you yes no so after that conversation uh, with with Tim Heron, um, in my in my my intentional 
uh, dry fire practice, I, I started switching back and forth between dots and irons and what I was looking at in my dry fire array. And I found that what appears in front of me while I am looking hard at my target can remain just as consistent as if I'm trying to hard front sight focus or if I focus harder on the dot. It's better for me visually with the dot to focus on the target because I have an astigmatism. And with that astigmatism, if I start to look more closely at the dot, it tends to starburst a little bit more visually than if I'm hard target focused and the dot is just interrupting my vision. Yep. You can, as you say, you can do the same thing with, with sights. The sights can be interrupting your vision to the target out to a certain distance. Yes. Right. Well, that's what I was, that's what I was trying to say, right. but I don't have a master's degree. Right. Well, but you still have to actually look at the sites for that to work. Yeah. You still have right. to look at the dot for that to work. You have to, you have to see the sites or see the dots yep. for it to work. Yep. And I, I hate to play the semantics game, mm -hmm. but I have to see them. I don't have to look at them. Right. And where I'm going with that, though, is that with the whole dot thing is everybody gets so dogmatic on this target focus and everything. Well, you still got to pay attention to the dot. Yep. And I think that gets gets lost. And I think that's one of the hard things that is, is part of teaching the, the thing is that people get wrapped up in these buzzwords and yes. this whole thing. And, yes. um, you know, like your mind was blown when... So, you know, you can do the same thing with irons. What, 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 what? Because it's always been drilled into you. Hard focus on that front sight. And when you go out there, you know what? If I just put them in between me and the target, I can see all of it. Yep. And it works. Uh, you know, one of the bigger issues that you, yeah, I, I, I want to ask this rather than say it. Uh, you ever notice the students, they get out there and they get the gun stopped and they spend all of this time trying to get the sights perfectly aligned is we can't get them to trust where the front sight's in the middle of the post and, and the notch and that they can make that shot at that distance. Do you guys see that? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. All the time. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the thing that I started doing with that with new students, especially in my private sessions um, is <clears throat> I make them mechanically wobble the pistol inside the target. And as long as it stays inside the, you know, two inch circle or three inch circle, whatever I happen to be using. Yeah. And I say now, and they press the trigger. When I say now it still shows up on that two inch circle or three inch circle, various places, mm -hmm. but they are intentionally moving it around yeah. and they understand, they understand that it does not have to be perfectly mm -hmm. still. Yeah. I use an, an intentionally misaligned sights drill. Yeah to show them that you can be good enough. And it's, we did it with irons years ago. Um, I use a knockoff of the parallax confirmation drill with the red dots to, to basically force that dot all over the window of the glass. Just so they understand like, hey, as long as it's there and you don't screw up the trigger press, you're going to get the hit you need. Yeah. It, to start that kind of like, oh, moment. Yeah, and that's one of, I think one of the bigger issues into getting people to take that step is to learn to trust themselves on that. Yeah. yeah. And I was having that conversation with, with a deputy who's struggling 
um, in my office yesterday is that I need to get her to trust um, the site picture on that and press the trigger. Got another female deputy that is a fantastic shot, but she takes forever. And I told her one day, I said, Lord, if I'm held hostage, I want you to be the one taking the shot, but I want you to do it right now. Yeah. <laughs> in a hurry and get there. We'll be quick. We, we uh, sold the Bago County Sheriff's Department on the Bakersfield drill. Mm -hmm. And so they're doing it once a month now. And we've also got the Clay County Sheriff's Department, where I live, is going to do it every two months, which is better than nothing. Mm -hmm. But I had a couple of deputies that we were running through that were just hitting really low. And, and we did your repentance drill where you mm -hmm. load a fuse. And it's funny because they swear, oh, I'm not moving the gun. I'm not doing anything. But then that click is the loudest thing on the range. And you see that movement. There's no mask in it. So then we sort of do the drill like Dan was talking about having them do the wobble and then the now and when they're not thinking about it, it works. So yeah. I've had the same success. Uh, and the sake of accuracy, that actually comes from Larry Mudgett. It doesn't come from me. Okay. And, uh, the, the, the thing with the, with the uh, skip loading, which by the way, Dan, since you're doing the double action revolver thing, load it full, come up, fire a shot, point the muzzle at a 45 degree angle towards the ground, finger off the trigger, open the cylinder, look away, spin the cylinder, close the cylinder, bring it Where up, fire a shot. <laughs> bring it up, fire another shot. Keep repeating it. You're actually getting a known dry fire, live fire. That's cool. At the same time. All That's uh, all right. I because I, I, I for the sake of accuracy, like you just said, who who came up with that? Because that's just that's cool. Uh, I don't know who came up with that. I know that skip loading was Larry Mudgett's taking that and applying it to semi-automatic pistols. God, we were doing that in the academy in '89. Mm -hmm. Not the 45 degrees down because that was concrete, but we were still running the cylinder that way. Yeah. Um, Mudget stuff. The first time I saw it in writing was 94, 95 and fighting firearms. He and Greg Morrison did a two part mm -hmm. article on training and part two was all the trigger controls that LAPD was using at the time. Yeah. Mudget developed, uh, the drills that, that Everett was referring to yeah. in 85 when LA switched from, okay. uh, Smith and Wesson revolvers to Beretta 92s. I mean, I've done that with with dump with the ball and dummy drill with magazine fed pistols forever. Um, I'm just that that is a that's a fantastic method for doing it with with the double action revolver. I like that a lot. Thank you, Lee. That's a that's a big one. Uh, I know Claude Warner has a snub DVD that's available. If you just search for his stuff online, you can find it and it outlines some of those drills like that that you can work and do. Where can you buy a DVD player these days? <laughs> <laughs> and to make the yeah. Facebook marketplace. Uh, Best Buy has them. You plug them into your the side of your Apple or Mac <laughs> desktop laptop, and then it allows you to play the DVD. The one thing I, I could think of that would improve that drill is if it's in 44 Magnum and you have one <laughs> one full Magnum round, everything else is 44 special. Yeah. But does have that, that one more layer of oh, this is gonna hurt. Yeah. 
Well, I had a, uh, I had a student in her, my last revolver class. I had a brother and sister show up with a brand new gun. It happened to be semi-auto. They were there for a revolver class. And my third student had Asperger's and a Colt Anaconda 44 Magnum with an eight inch barrel. And I had him doing the skip loading drill. And uh, he had never shot that gun double action. He had only shot at single action because he was focused on accuracy. But I had, but so you mentioned 44 Magnum, it reminded me of that. Oh yeah. I, I need to bail, but Steve, Everett, Dan, pleasure to meet you guys and talk with you face to face. Great talk. Great. Right. Uh, Matt and Lee, I'll see you next weekend. Well, at least yep. I'll see Matt next weekend. I think Lee still might be, might be in trial, so I don't know if I'm going to see him. I oh, he'll be there. And okay. We'll see you then. And check your texts again. Okay. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you. Take care, Eric. And what I'm proud of is primary and secondary. Because there there's you know that. How, yeah. I'll you know it. how I found primary and secondary? Uh, you needed to yell at me about something I said. No, uh, I had written a review of a class that I took and like all of a sudden the stats on it jumped and I like, what's, what's causing these stats to jump? Look look to see like where the incoming clips are coming from. And someone had posted the link to it on the primary secondary form. Like what's the primary and secondary? Oh, oh, okay. There we go. Uh, Do we have any other things that we can use to blow dan's mind before we wrap up here hmm. well dan i'm sure you've uh cut a t-shirt in half and attached it to the target so that they can't see where their holes are oh yeah fired i've done string. that yeah i've done that a number yeah. of times all right take that shoot steel target and turn it around backwards uh, the other thing i do i i have a lot of students and you know Lee, this is Lee's. um uh, terminology or his saying that he always puts forth in class if the rule is keep your finger off the trigger till your sights are aligned on the target you made the decision to shoot then once you've made the decision to shoot your sights are on the target it's okay to put your finger on the trigger so i'll have him press out and prep the trigger and i tell him i want him to line it up and as soon as your arms are extended that's when i want the shot to break you you should be lined up trigger prepped and boom as soon as your arms are extended and what I find is their best shots are usually the one that they didn't intend to fire hmm. when they overprepped the trigger just before they got out there. And that one's dead center. Mm-hmm. And I said, you didn't know that was going, that went off before you were ready, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's why, because you didn't have time to think. It's, an, it's another iteration of the now drill, yeah. so to speak, although it's, it's inadvertent when they go out and do that. But uh, yeah. anyway. Yep. But you have to not scream at them for having a negligent discharge and i yeah you 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 made i know you don't scream at anybody your sights were aligned on the target yep right yep yep but i've been on cop ranges where something like that happened and instructor goes nuts yeah and now what have we done we've damaged the student's ego and they completely shut down and i'm guilty of stuff like that i am I don't think any of us aren't Lee. I mean, yeah. that's, I, I think, I don't, I don't think you can get to this point in any of our journeys with, with not having done that intentionally or accidentally. Um, yeah. You know, I, there have been times where 
it was it, it was called for that you know a, a student absolutely refused to believe that you know it was them not their sights you know and you grab their gun and you flip it upside down and you press their finger with the with the with the pinky and put a couple holes in the target you know sometimes certain students need that kind of punch in the mouth and be like it, it is you and you you need to listen i'm one of i'm one of those students um but you don't ever know what is going to hurt certain people's egos to that extent in certain occasions you have to operate within certain left and right limits and there are just some students who are outside of those limits and no matter what you say you're, you're going to lose them at some point yeah of course it's funny you say that the, the deputy i was mentioning earlier on all the gadgetry uh I have quite enjoyed harassing him mercilessly through the years. And one of the things I was trying to clean up, you know, my presentations on the ranges and, and not do some of that stuff. And um, I said something nice to him on the range and he holstered his pistol, stopped and turned around and said, if you're nice to me, I'm going to fall apart. <laughs> so everyone else i was being encouraging and stuff, but i come in and i'd just start like talking to him like he was a dog and he would start performing better and it's just like okay whatever uh, i had a student um at the range on tuesday who failed his quals after instruction by both me and a grandmaster who happened to be on the range shooting with us and before he left the range, he walked back down with a loaded magazine and his pistol and said, would you shoot my gun just so I can leave here today knowing that it was actually me and not my gun? And I was like, wow. Yeah, and I think, what are the internal struggles that he's having? Yeah. Having with him. It's like, is it really me or is my gun a problem? And so it's now when I, when I you know, sorry. So now he's going to accept hopefully that it was him and that we can, we can coach him up from there. Um, uh, we're kind of pushing it on time, but one thing I did want to throw out and get comments on is as we started finding this whole new world of the open enrollment circuit and everything outside of the institutional training or you're a new, like Steve walking in, I have the institutional background and you walk in and all of a sudden you start getting exposed to all this stuff. And we all keep saying, I wish I had trained with so-and-so or, you know, that type of thing. I do think there is a temptation that every class you go to, if you're an instructor and you go to it as a student, you want to immediately run back and start trying to throw that out uh, as material to your students. Someone might not necessarily have a mastery and ownership of it. And I think you need to have a strong evaluation process and because there's a couple of times where I took a class and was like, wow, that's really good. And I came back repeating something from the class. And then like later down the road, it's kind of like, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I really don't know. Um, I'm extremely proud of my advanced rating from Rogers. And I came back from that really pushing the reactive shooting, you know, doing it within 0.25 and everything. may have crosswired some people with it and i spent considerable effort on myself trying to unwire my brain from a quarter of a second 
and getting to where I'm shooting when the sights or the dot tells me that I'm ready to shoot versus it's a quarter of a second. It's time to shoot. Yeah. And I'd just like to go around uh, with any kind of thoughts like this, Steve. I get to go first every time, don't I? Yeah. And well, I, I, was trying to stay in the same I was trying to stay in the same order, but y'all have all switched places except for Matt. <laughs> Who's always in that spot on his own show, too. So I don't know how he does that. I, I pay extra. He owns the yeah. internet. That's what it is. He owns the internet. <laughs> <laughs> so, Steve? I like to let it bake for a little while. Mm-hmm. You know, I tend to take parts of maybe what came across. Um, I wasn't, as you mentioned, I didn't come from the institutional side. So your question was, do we, do I have a tendency to immediately start using stuff I learned in another class? Is that, is that the question? Well, just kind of like, like, you, you got this, I think it's one of the things that's when someone is developing as an instructor is they find something new and they want to try to latch onto it and maybe try to immediately incorporate it into their own uh, doctrine. And you might not necessarily have an ownership of it. And that might not also might not press, excuse me, stand the test of time. Yeah. So I, I mean, I tend to look at it. I'll try it out a few times. And then I, I might mention it, or I might ask folks to try it, but you know, I, I don't know that there's anything that I've put into the curriculum that I've said, gee, that doesn't work. And I, and in hindsight, I'm going to take it out now. Um, I never learned how to shoot at a quarter of a second. Um, so, you know, the one thing we talked about inboard, inboard manipulation earlier. Um, I like, uh, I I'll incorporate that more. I show people that I'm real good on, or I don't, I'm not real good on anything. I try to be real good about showing them all the different ways to do something and telling them pick one. There's, there's not this one way that there's only one way to do it. There's more than one way to do it. Um, you know, so that's what I do. Ever. I try to incorporate a little bit of everything that works. And like Steve said, I'll show different methods and where I've got them at range master, mm-hmm. your first person safety, Dave Spalding. It's just a way, not the way, because that's the one thing that I hated on the agency side is not that one way doesn't fit everybody. Um, and that inboard that Dave Spalding teaches, I, I think by far is one of the best ways I've done it. Some people might disagree, but um, the thing we run into is people get set in their ways and they want to argue on why their only way it's like, just try it. You might do a little bit better. And one, some of them will try it and do, you know, admit, yeah, this works better. Then you got the hard headed ones that they're not until they're cool guy. They fall on YouTube. Does it, they're not going to change. Dan. Have I been guilty of that in the past? Yeah. Yeah, I have. Um, you know, I, I hate to keep coming back to the same subject, but the, uh, you know, the patrol rifle thing back in the, you know, early, mid-2000 aughts, um, 
Anybody remember Magpul Dynamics? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I uh, I did did some Chris Costa, Travis Haley stuff with uh with patrol rifles, and I I did not have a mastery of uh some of that stuff, and admittedly, some of it was because God, that looks cool. Um, and you know, it kind of goes back to that same comment of I started I started teaching way way too early. Um, I, I, I wasn't ready for having that kind of impact on people. Um, and because I could shoot reasonably well, people would listen to me, um, and not having a mastery of why you should do it and exactly how it helps you i think i set people up for some really bad habits doing that and i guess that could i guess that could kind of fall into one of the one of the regrets you know we kind of talked about last cycle but you know pain is life's greatest teacher and when you kind of look back on that and you cringe and you go oh god i did that um but you recognize you it. You eventually stop doing it because um, you do, uh, you know, recognize eventually, boy, that's just cringy. And I am really upset with myself. But we don't we don't get here without making some serious errors in judgment and learning from them, uh, you know, because they didn't happen to be fatal at that point in time. Um, one of the things that I did learn there was that the, the repetition of error is not experience. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Consistency is only a virtue if you're not a screw up. So I, I, I said that to a student not that long ago at, at, at my, my dot gov job, you know, they were like, Oh, I've been doing it this way for, you know, a couple of few years and blah, blah, blah. And I, I told him, I said, look, repetition of error is not experience because if I bring you to the range with my 17 year old son, he will eat you alive with a pistol. Just you, you need to keep your mind open not so far that your brain falls out, but you, you need to understand why things either work or do not. Yeah. Oh, I have fought that battle over the correct placement of magazines in one's mag pouches <laughs> on the belt. Because guys that want to carry them backwards and whatever, I'm like, hey, this, but I've always done it this way. Well, you've always been wrong. And that was one of those things where damage somebody's ego. And finally, I got smart, and since I had the agency purse strings, I bought mag pouches that the mags could only go in one way. <laughs> That'll do it. <laughs> it's like if you want a different mag, if you want to carry your mags differently, then you're going to go buy it with your own money. And you know, they weren't going out and buying their own stuff. They just used what I gave them at that point. And I won that battle. I, you know, if I'd have been smart enough to do it that way from the outset, but I wasn't. Matt, 
after going to a class, having notes, thinking about what I, I, I went through or what I learned, I typically haven't brought that back to a class or anything until I used it enough to where I understand it and why and all that kind of stuff. The stuff, however, I do share are the personal revelations from the class mm-hmm. that aren't even addressed. Uh, Darcy, one of the con- once, one of the concepts for me was um, determining what a teaching moment is versus a learning opportunity for the student. So do I let them make the mistake and learn or do I stop the class and say, everyone look at this, this is what's about to happen. This is how we avoid it. Uh, Pat Rogers going through Pat's classes, figuring out, okay, the, the, the end culmination exercise is putting everything together. What a great idea on how to put a class together. So we're, we're doing all these steps and here's the, the, the final um, exercise. Um, and it, it was those bigger things for me that were so much more meaningful and that I'm so excited to share. I've written about it and share and all that kind of stuff. But the individual stuff from individual classes, just like the other guys, I'm picking up different ways of doing things and I can present them all and not necessarily saying, this is it. Yep. Yeah. I think all of that goes back to one of the central themes of the night, if that we had all developed ourselves as students more before we stepped out on the line of we're the guy, you know, we wouldn't have made some of the mistakes that we've made. And of course, institutionally, you may not have that option. You may be the guy. I knew when I graduated from you know, I've got a piece of paper that says I'm an instructor, but I knew I didn't know what I was doing. But I had to keep going and doing it. I didn't. And I had that piece yeah. of paper and I didn't know that I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Looking back, oh, hell yeah, I'm absolutely clueless. It was ridiculous that I even went to the class. It was yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. See, I'm you in know, the but- same boat. I'm in the same boat as Matt. Like, they're like, oh, hey, uh, Dan, you, uh, you, you do this pretty good go to instructor school mm-hmm. and come back and now you can teach and i'm like exactly you know it, it's yeah. I, i'm now now i'm the man if and, it was good I enough mean, for jelly just, bryce it should be good enough for you you know yeah. <laughs> and the you know the the problem with that is just the classic dunning kruger of yeah. you know i'm on I'm, I'm up here on the front side of that of i am clueless but i think i know an awful lot and mm-hmm. you know now 20 odd years later i'm way down here where i know a, i know a fair amount and i'm still like eh, maybe you yeah. should talk to matt lanfair instead of me yeah uh when I say I knew I didn't know what I was doing, I knew I didn't have the answers to the questions I was being asked. I guess it would have been a better way of saying that. Okay. And, well, and also as an instructor, it was attending classes and being the instructor that I learned how to do it. It wasn't going through a class. The class didn't do anything for me. It just said, yep, check the box. Yeah. Steve made a comment earlier that there are great, NRA instructors, but they're not great NRA instructors because of that one weekend class. Yeah. Well, I'd say there are great instructors that aren't great instructors because of any M class in particular. You know, that this this all the things that, the instructor certification says that you met the requirements to get the certification. It doesn't say that you actually know what you're doing. Yeah. 
unless you're good a, at it. A quick question for you guys. Mm -hmm. Did, did you become instructors in your agency because you sought it out or because they sought you out? I, I was enthusiastic, a huge gun nerd. And I, I, that's what I wanted to do. Okay. I, I was right there with Matt. Sorry, Matt. No, no, no. I just, I'm just curious because, you know, in my case, I mean, I went looking for it. Uh, you could have, you mentioned earlier, Dan, you were good at this. So they said, Hey, you go be, you go be the instructor. Sometimes you're thrown into a role. You get a battlefield promotion into a role that, you know, sometimes before you're ready. And Oh, I was a hundred percent angling for it. There's no, no question about that. Like I was trying very hard to get certain people's attention. Uh, and I, and I did, and they were like, Hey, yeah, go ahead and go do this. What was yeah. missing from me was a mentorship. Had there been a mentorship, I would be so much further than I am right now. I'm only Us. here because I had a mentor. Like uh, there is, there's no question about that. I sought it out and I actually managed my bosses to get it because I was up. Uh, There's, there was a sergeant's promotion that came And up. you were chief deputy and no, 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 this was when I was, I was a corporal and uh sergeant's promotion was coming up and I was pretty sure that I would be number two in the sergeant promotion. And so I just kind of in conversation with different people around the agency were working, you know, if I had to choose, I think I'd rather be a firearms instructor. And sure enough, they ended up promoting the other guy to sergeant. And, you know, Wames, you, you were the number two choice. And, and you, you, we're going to let you go to firearms instructor school to whatever. Yeah. I went and came back going, I don't know how to teach anybody how to do any of this. I know how to do it, but I don't know how to teach how to do it. Well, 20 years ago on the line, if I'm running uh, mm -hmm. quals, okay, go shoot. Okay, good job. Yeah. Now I'm right with you. I'm right, right with the, uh, the officer. Okay. Before we shoot, this is, this is, these are things you want to think about if they fail. Okay. These are the things I observed. This is, this is how we're going to combat this and have a, a quick little lecture that personalized lecture for every individual officer that's pertinent to their needs. Let me ask you a question about that, Matt. Where was it that you either figured out or were taught the difference between the rote instructor and how to coach people. I don't, I couldn't even, I couldn't tell you. It's been such a, well, and, and the first half of the journey was just dumb because there was no guidance. And I don't think it was until, I don't know, maybe 2008 when I got to see Pat Rogers. I think it's when I started to seek out professional instructor out or instruction outside of agency provided stuff because agency provided stuff was always very robotic and very check the box. It's going to be a PowerPoint and you're really not going to learn anything, but we are satisfying the needs of the agency, the policy, the state, whatever, uh, yeah. going through professional instructors who, and these are professionals. This is what they do. And they're good at it. Taking mental notes and going, that's what I want to do because I get to see the results and I get to see the positive influence they can be on their students. That's what I want to be. So I guess, I, I guess I do know it is probably, I want to say 2008 with my first Pat Rogers class and going, Holy crap, this is how, how a pistol class should be going. Yeah. That right. was sort of my deal too. Uh, 
I picked it up more in the private sector. Uh, on the line instructor part, they didn't want you doing any kind of coaching or didn't go over coaching. The sort side did a little bit more, but we didn't really need it because you had to be a shooter to get on there. But definitely the, uh, I can't recommend a private uh, sector instructor classes. Yeah. I mean, it's the only way to go. All right. The spirit of Matt Lamfair has caused us to go like 30 minutes longer. That's right. That's, that's what I do. <laughs> yeah, the, the heavy PNS influence here tonight. And there's, yep. we could, we could keep going. going I've for done eight hours. I've done 10 hours. <laughs> yeah. I remember my very <laughs> first, my very first uh, appearance on one of the PNS was like, so how long do these usually last? Everybody like laughed. It's like, uh, we've gone 18 hours before. Right, well, and it's constant here. and it's great discussion yeah <laughs> the feed actually died hours ago and we're still talking yeah yeah normal uh, normal day right but we are three minutes away from two hours so we're going to wrap it up here so i'm going to send it around to everyone else for their final thought and what they have upcoming if they have something upcoming steve <laughs> um Let's see, what do I have upcoming? I'm heading to TACCON next week with a whole bunch of other people. I'm looking forward to your cognitive conclave, mm -hmm. you and Eric and John Hearn at the end of April. I continue to run my defensive pistol matches here in the Johns Creek, Georgia area, the second and fourth Thursday of each month. And the second Wednesday is a ladies only version. And that's it. All right, any final thoughts? I guess no, I, well, <laughs> final thoughts. You all went in through the institutional side and I came through on the private sector side. And I, I think there's a big difference there. Mm -hmm. um, and, and my one and only certification process is, the, is all the range master certifications. It's just a completely different situation. So our... Mm -hmm. Your early years and my early years are so much different, I think, because of that. So you talk about how, Lee, you've talked about how you had to do, uh, you know, basically they taught you how to run a line yeah. and, and keep scores. And you're looking to check boxes. And it reminds me of the line from Ghostbusters, the difference between the public sector and the private sector. He says, I don't want to go to the private sector. I've been to the private sector. They expect results. So. <laughs> That'll be my final thought. Said by Dan Aykroyd. Everett? Well, if it's not too late, I need to get online and uh, I plan on signing up for the uh, Range Master Reunion and the Advanced Instructor course in Xenia, Ohio. And if time and money permits, maybe uh, the Revolver Roundup at uh, Gunsight. So... Yeah. Then you can catch me at Top Gun in Tarot, Indiana, about one or two weekends, Saturdays out of the week. So, any final thoughts? Just anybody that's listening, if you're an agency instructor, I can't say it enough. Go to private uh, gun site, range master. Uh, you won't regret it. Uh, there's a guy that I work with, he's an instructor still. He sort of Great guy, but he thinks he's a little bit more than he is. Uh, he would be very humbled if he went to Range Master. So, 
you won't regret it. Dan Brady. Um, well, I got a, I got a local class here, April 1st, um, the end of April, I'll be teaching at the national conference for girl and a gun out in Colorado. Um, we've got, uh, for Apache solutions, we've got classes in Maine, Xenia, Ohio, um, and where the hell else are we? couple other places this year, Pennsylvania. Um, in July, I will be down in your place, Lee, for Range Master Master Instructor. Uh, I'll be down there for that. And yeah, that's, I got a, I got a Tim Heron class in October, uh, I think also in Pennsylvania. Matt? Um, if you want to be a good instructor, you need to be a student. And if you're not taking those classes outside of what you're being provided, because again, any, any agency provided training is a minimum. Your qualification is a minimum. Strive for going beyond that. And in order to do that, you need to take classes from reputable instructors and be a good student and take those notes, take mental notes and incorporate everything that you learned in your, and everything that you do. Uh, you can't find me on primary and secondary. I have a podcast. We're doing one tomorrow, uh, kind of talking about uh, the DMR rifle. I have some people interesting to see some trends in social media and how it's influencing lower information groups and their what they want to have, what they want to own and show off. So we're going to kind of address some of that tomorrow. But yeah, primary and secondary.com is a website. Um, absolutely love doing this stuff. And I absolutely love being a guest on a podcast as opposed to being the host because I don't have to think as much and I don't need to be doing everything at the same time. I can just sit back and relax. And when we're done, I can go upstairs and do whatever. And I don't have to stay up till whenever to edit. So Lee, thanks for, thanks for, uh, uh adding me. Absolutely. I love these panel episodes because I don't have to do anything. To say yes. That's that's on my that's that's every episode I have. What's that? I need more practice. I learned something tonight. I need more practice at this stuff. You guys are all seasoned and chiseled and it just it just reps. Purely just reps. Yep. yep. And uh you don't have to do all that editing. Matt, I, I don't do anything. I just upload oh, it straight to thing and just let it rock. Occasionally, I get questions like, how do you do such and such for your pie? I don't. <laughs> just, do I'm, no, I'm sitting I got, in my kitchen. <laughs> I got some bad reviews early on, and I will never, I'm not going to relive that again. Yeah. So, yeah, there's some editing. Uh, we'll be at TACCON next week. Uh, the last weekend in April, Eric Gilhouse and John Hearn and I will be doing the Cognitive Conclave at Red Hill Range in Martin, Georgia, and there are only a few spots left in that, so if you want to take it, uh, jump in. It's going to be all about thinking with the pistol in your hand, and it's going to be a great, great, great time. Uh, I've got a trigger management class at Red Hill in May, but that is sold out. I've got one at Cahutta Pines, which is up in the uh, uh, Dalton, Georgia area. In September, we've got some contract stuff coming up, um, hopefully. 
I haven't received the contracts yet, but I'm hoping that they're they're forthcoming. And then as a student, I am taking Centrifuge's Pistol Mounted Optics Instructor course, and I'm taking Eric Gilhouse's Pistol Mounted Optics Instructor course uh, between now and June, both of those classes. And those will be PMO Instructor Certifications 3 and 4. And so maybe at some point I will have earned enough internet credit on optics to become have a valid opinion. And I'll just let that drop, even though I'm still amused by that joke. It's amazing how it is spread. Even people I've never don't know, like they'll come up to me at an event or whatever, and they'll bring it up. So I hear the internet says that you like that, and they're telling it as a joke. And uh, if I can just get them and everyone to understand that I hate onions and quit offering me suggestions that have onions in them, then uh, we'll be okay. And so with that, we have used up a lot of everyone's time tonight. <laughs> And we understand that your time is your most important asset. And thank you for choosing to spend your time with us.